This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We're preaching on the cross. I pray that there are some simple truths that you will get from these messages that will lead up to the resurrection. That's my purpose and goal in putting this series together. And this morning, I'm simply preaching on the crown of thorns, and I want us to really digest uh, some of this perhaps in ways that we have not considered it before in the past. And I'm going to be reading this morning in John chapter 19. And uh, this series is entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And uh, I am preaching primarily from John 19, verses 1 through 5. This is the main section for the text today. And uh, I pray that um, if you have your Bible, you'll follow along with us, and if you prefer to read it on the big screen, uh, we get that as well, and I'm thankful for the media department who uh, does a great job for us each and every week. But this right here, let me read it for you in John 19, beginning in verse number 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plotted. There's, there's some significant words in the message today. And I pray that as we examine the cross, you, you'll take note of these particular words. Scourged. Plotted. These are important words. A crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him, beat him with their hands. Therefore Pilate, or Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Someone has said that an archaeologist is someone whose career is always in ruins. When you think about that, you get the gist of it. Because they're always reaching down and digging in the ruins and trying to find out something about the past. And when we were in the Holy Land just a few days ago, we are amazed to see all of the archaeological things that are still ongoing every day. They are discovering ancient of old artifacts that were alive and vibrant in the day of the Lord Jesus. But an archaeologist appreciates old things because they can learn a great deal of information about civilizations and human history that took place centuries ago. Now, I say all of that in our introduction this morning because sometimes a pastor has to be a spiritual archaeologist who has to keep, and, and I have to do this daily, I have to keep a compassion in my own personal life to continue digging down deep in the heart of God's Word 
I, I love to dig deep and I love to study. In fact, uh, I'm teaching now. I'm finishing up Second Peter chapter 3 on Wednesday night. I think I left off in verse 12, and there are 18 verses, and we'll get through that. And then I will embark upon the uh, monstrosity of the task in preaching the mighty book of Revelation. And I will tell you, I taught this book 30 years ago, and now I know why I hadn't taught it in 30 years. Because you have to dig deep in that book. You have to. And, but, but I love to do that. I was thinking the other day that I, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly approaching the twilight of my ministry and I wish that I knew 40 years ago what I know now. I really, honestly, truly, this is not pun, this is, this is the truth. I really feel that right now, this time in my life, I'm just now learning how to preach. I'm just now learning how to teach. And I look back on all of the other years and know I'm rounding third base here, and I'm saying, man, there's not enough time to preach or teach in the remainder of what God has in my life and what he has in store for me. But I will tell you, in order to keep the word of God fresh in my life, because, you know, you could preach. I could stand here this morning and preach John 3.16. Everybody knows the verse. But when you preach it without a fresh anointing and when you preach it with some type of stale or leftover element, it really doesn't meet the need of the hour. It doesn't meet the need of God's people. And so, for example, if I was going to take a scripture like John 3.16, I personally would want to go deep, down deep with it, and maybe find a truth that we have not talked about or you have not discovered, that you have not learned. And it's amazing to me how we could take a simple scripture like that and preach it a hundred times and still God shows something new and fresh every time you read it. But you have to apply yourself to study. You have to dig deep. And as a pastor and preaching sermons on the cross, we sing about it all the time. And it's imperative that I, I keep before me the passion of digging deep in God's Word. And as I was doing that in this particular message, I found some interesting things that I want to pass along to you today, things that are simple and clear, and I pray that they will be informative, and most of all, that they will be a blessing to you. Here in our passage, I want you to look carefully. In verse number 2 of chapter 19, we read about the crown of thorns that Jesus wore when he was crucified upon the cross of Calvary, and the soldiers platted. Look at this. That's even a word worthy to underline in your Bible if you are accustomed to making notations. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. In this sermon series, we will talk about the purple robe as well. But when I examine the word thorns, I want you to stay with me now because I thought it important to note that from the very beginning of the Bible and all the way through of its 66 books, you can read something about thorns. That's important. 
In fact, thorns are mentioned for the very first time in Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to listen very carefully. When sin entered into the Garden of Eden, there was a curse placed on the ground and thorns and thistles would now grow out of the soil. That's not the way God intended for it to be. That's not how God spoke it into existence. In Genesis 3, verse 17 and 18, I want us to read this quickly here. They'll get it on the screen. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. This is God speaking. He said, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And here's the result, the consequence of God cursing the ground. He said, In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And look at this. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Now, you may have never thought about this ever before, but maybe after this message, perhaps you will look at it in a different perspective. Because thorns are a representative, a representation. Thorns are that of the curse that God put on the ground. Thorns are the result of sin. That's something that we don't give any thought to. But in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, as I have already said, was a very beautiful place. It was a magnificent place. It was a place full of beauty and splendor. It was a perfect environment, not one single thorn on one single rose bush. But because of sin, God cursed the ground, and in that cursing, he put thorns and thistles. Now, as Christians, we've got to remember that thorns are a picture of what sin has done to this world. That's important. Every time you see a thorn, Maybe from this message forward, every time you see a thorn, it ought to remind us that we are sinners, and we as sinners needed a Savior. And as you move through the Bible, you find out that thorns are very worthless and useless to the average person. There are not many people, I don't believe, in this auditorium today that functions very well with thorns. We, we, we don't grow thorns intentionally. But they happen to grow all around us. In fact, we do everything we possibly can to avoid them. We, we take special precautions whenever we come in contact with them. But somewhere along the way, in the evil heart of evil wicked men, Somebody figured out a way to get a form of use out of thorns. And that use was to inflict pain upon people. Most everybody in the world today, listen carefully, especially those of you that are watching by internet, please don't lose track of what we're talking about this morning. Most everybody in the world today, whether saved or lost, knows that while Jesus was being crucified, he was wearing a crown of thorns. That's a given, whether it be on a picture on somebody's wall, whether it be a mural somewhere, 
Everybody knows that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, they picture him there with the crown of thorns. And many Christians, I believe, have taken special interest in that, especially during this time of the Easter season. There have been many great songs written about them, many great poems written about them, many pictures, many replicas displayed about the crown of thorns, but we rarely study about them. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take an up-close and personal look at them. And when I begin to focus on the crown of thorns, it quickly reminded me of some things that God's people should never forget. And if you're following along today on the bulletin, number one is this. First of all, the crown of thorns should always remind us of the cruelty of the cross. The cross was not a quick event. It was not a quick death. In fact, the entire ordeal lasted about six hours. I did something out of the norm in my study and preparation for the message today, and I want to give this to you as quickly as I possibly can. It's a timeline of the final hours of Jesus leading up to the cross. I have to give it to you quick. I have scriptures for every one of them that I will not be able to present to you today. But I want you to listen very carefully. I've got to move quickly through this. But this is what happened to Jesus in his final hours. Number one, the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus had what we call the Last Supper. He had the Last Supper with his disciples. We call it communion. Following the Last Supper or communion, Jesus led his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested. In the early moments of being arrested, the religious leaders, Annas and Caiaphas, along with some members of the Sanhedrin, they begin the process to condemn the Lord. Now, I thought this was significant, so please listen carefully. Approximately around 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus stands trial before Pilate. Around 6.30, Jesus was sent to Herod. Around 7 o'clock in the morning, he now is returned to Pilate. Here he is sentenced to death. At approximately now, 8 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is led away to Calvary. Around 9 o'clock in the morning, the crucifixion begins. Approximately 10 o'clock in the morning, the soldiers are at the foot of the cross and they're gambling for his garments. He also endured great abuse from the crowd. Approximately at 11 o'clock a.m., Jesus now has the conversation with the thief on the cross. He also takes a moment to speak to John and Mary, his mother. Then approximately at 12 o'clock noon, the sixth hour, according to the Bible, darkness covers the land. At approximately 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cries out to the Father for the very first time on the cross, I thirst. At approximately 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus begins to speak and he says, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
at about 2.30 in the afternoon, Jesus begins to speak again from the cross and he says, it is finished. And then at the ninth hour, approximately three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus lifted his head toward heaven and he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And according to the scripture, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now that's a very brief timeline of what happened to Jesus immediately after communion or the Last Supper. The Lord's Supper took place in the upper room. And so I want us to understand this, that the crucifixion, it was not a quick thing. It was not a quick death. But getting back to the crown of thorns just for a moment, those soldiers took this crown of thorns and they platted it upon the brow of Jesus. And the Bible specifically uses that word. That means they crushed it on his head with force. And when they did that, it punctured the skin. And Jesus began to uh, erupt with puddles of blood, clinging to his brow, beginning to spew out of his face. The blood began to run down his eyes and into his eyes, down his nose, dripping off of his chin. The blood began to run down his body. This is just from the crown of thorns. You have to remember he was whipped profusely. We'll talk about that in just a moment before he actually got to the cross. But the action now of plaiting the crown of thorns upon the brow of Jesus was to create, to intensify the level of pain that he was going through. But here's the interesting thing. They not only wanted to cause him severe pain on his head, but they had intended to cause him severe pain all over his entire body. And if you look carefully in verse 1 of chapter 19, the Bible says that they scourged him. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. They began to whip him unmercifully, and I'm confident. Listen carefully. As I studied this thing, I am confident that there is no one in this building, there's no one watching on the internet that has ever witnessed a scourging. And it's very difficult for me to put it in words. All I have to, to go by is what the scriptures give us. But I mean, think about this just for a moment. Some of us that actually grew up in a scrappy kind of a way, maybe we know what it's like to witness a few childhood fistfights along the way. Unfortunately, there may be some people in this auditorium this morning that has witnessed some domestic abuse, and you have seen the consequences of that. But I am 1,000% sure that none of us in this auditorium today has ever witnessed a scourging. We have read about them. They have taken place in history. But again, none of us have actually seen one. I want to emphasize something to you. In my study, this scourging that Jesus received was not the typical 39 stripes. It wasn't the typical 13 on each shoulder and 13 on the loins. The scourging that Jesus received was actually by its definition called the Roman halfway death. 
It was filled and intensified with brutality, discouraging that this Roman soldier was carrying out on the body of Jesus. In my study, I have come to realize that this individual was a very well-trained man. He, he was not an ordinary soldier. And the whip that this Roman centurion used was not a common known whip. It was an uncommon instrument, typically called the cat of nine tails. It had a wooden handle on it. It had nine strands of leather on it, and at the end there were chunks of bone and metal and sharpened rocks. They would place the individual that was going to get the scourging between two pillars. They would tie their hands. They would secure their feet. Then in a moment of silence, as the individual, and believe me, Jesus was not the only person crucified. This was a typical normal way of Roman torture and punishment and death in some cases. But in a moment of silence, as they had Jesus tied to the pillars and the scourging began to take place in a moment of silence when that Roman soldier put that first lash upon the back of the Savior, you could almost hear the dull thud of the leather hitting his skin. I can imagine that the first blow on his body probably knocked the breath out of him and maybe perhaps caused his knees to buckle just a little bit. Without question, the second blow began to tear, methodically tear the flesh off of his bones. And then in slow, methodical strokes, the Roman soldier would beat that whip on the back of Jesus until his flesh was ripped from his body. In many ways, when a scourging took place, veins and arteries were exposed on the person receiving it. Sometimes these beatings were so vile that the vital organs of the person was exposed. Historians say this in my study, that some men actually under Roman scourging, went insane in the process, and some of them actually died. And so the thing that I get out of my study and understanding the Scriptures is this. You have to, for a moment, imagine the physical strength of the Lord Jesus for him to endure such a thing. In fact, there's a Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, that says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, look at this, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So from the time that his scourging took place, where they put the crown of thorns plaiting them on his brow, they would soon now, listen, take a wooden cross and put it upon his bleeding back and now command him to carry it to Calvary. So keep in mind, after they whipped Jesus beyond human recognition, they forced the crown of thorns upon his head. And let me ask you a question just for a moment. Have you ever 
I'm sure you have. Every person in the building has experienced this. Have you ever maybe pricked your finger for some type of medical test or procedure? Some people have to do that every day to check their blood sugar uh, who are experiencing diabetes or something. But maybe you had a blackberry patch in your yard growing up, or maybe you do now, and you've reached for a cluster of blackberries, or you have reached for a beautiful rose or roses to put in a vase, and somewhere along the line you've snagged your hand along the thorn bush. You know what it's like to dig a splinter out, but maybe you've got a cluster of thorns in your hand for whatever project you were doing around your house. You've got to remember this, that the thorns that they put in the brow of Jesus was not your ordinary thorns from a rose bush. These particular thorns were over two inches long, and they, they reached, they penetrated his flesh down to the bone of his skull. According to the word of God, they matted it, they plaited it on his brow. So not only do I see when I study this the physical pain that he suffered, but number two, if you're looking carefully at the bulletin, I see that the crown of thorns were used in a depleting way of mockery. They inflicted mockery, not only pain, but mockery upon the Lord. The word had spread that Jesus had claimed to be the king of the Jews. And in blasphemy, they said, if he is a king, then he must have a crown. And then again in chapter 19, verse 2 and 3, the word says, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, king of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. When they did that, they began mockingly, bowed down to him. Here's the thing now. This is the open public shame. They stripped him naked. They plucked the beard off of his face. It wasn't a close-shaven beard like mine. You cannot pluck this. I want you to understand that Jesus had a beard in such a way that they took their hands and they began to pull his beard off of his face. They plucked his beard. Now, he's hanging naked now. They're plucking his beard. And then the Word of God says they spit in his face. Now, not only that, these soldiers, in all of this folly that's going on, I'm convinced that they are being entertained by this whole thing. Jesus is nothing more than a popular spectacle to them. These soldiers, I believe, they were in demonic joy watching Jesus suffer as people all around the cross at the foot of the cross were making fun of him. And by the way, let me, let me say this. No, none of us like to be made fun of. Has anyone ever done that to you? Has anyone ever made fun of you? I mean, has anybody ever called your names? Has anyone ever made fun of your weight, your shape, your color, your size? You think about all the things that we fit into public scrutiny over. And maybe you had to wear hand-me-downs when you were a child and people made fun of that. Or because you had a mentally handicapped family member or something, people just loathe at making fun. Let me give you a word of wisdom today apart from the message. Never laugh at someone else's misfortunes. 
Never laugh at somebody else's troubles because they could be yours tomorrow. Never laugh or mock anybody's handicaps because if it were not for but the grace of God, it could be you. It could be me. When I look at these pages of Scripture and I see Jesus wearing the crown of thorns, I'm reminded of his suffering. I'm reminded of the cruelty of the human heart. I'm reminded of the open mockery that's taking place underneath the cross. I believe all of hell was having its heyday when they were doing this to Jesus. If there is any one thing on the face of this earth that should convince us that this world needs a Savior, I believe it's the cruelty in the heart of men and women. The crown of thorns should not only remind us of the agonizing suffering and the cruelty of man, the open shame and mockery, and the curse on the ground, but lastly, and number three, the crown of thorns is a visual reminder that Jesus bore our sin and he bore our shame. I want you to let this sink down into your heart today because, because of sin, God cursed the ground. Thorns were created because of our sin. And this is what I thought about in this message today. There's an old song, and I haven't heard it song in, sung in a long, long time. Maybe perhaps somebody here in the church sings it. I'd love to hear it again. It's been a long time. But the last phrase of that tremendous song goes like this. God grew the tree that he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. Now let that sink in just for a minute. God grew the tree that he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. But my thought and my thinking and my study revealed this to me. It was also God who cursed the ground, who brought forth thorns. And God, because he's omniscient, knew that when he brought forth thorns, because he could see all things, and because he knows all things, God could see that one day with these thorns that he brought forth, it would enter into the evil and wicked heart of men that they would take these thorns and make a crown of thorns and plait them on the brow of Jesus. God did this knowing what ultimately they would be used for. And when Jesus died on the cross, listen carefully, he took our curse. God cursed the ground. And as a result of him cursing the ground because of the sin of Adam and Eve, when God cursed the ground... He brought forth the thorns. So here's the thing that happened. When Jesus took our sin, when they platted the crown of thorns upon his head, he was actually taking our thorns. He was taking our curse, our sin upon him. In fact, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So when the crown of thorns were placed upon the brow of Jesus, it means that Jesus was bearing our curse. 
But that was God's provision. Jesus became our vicarious substitute. That means he was taking our place. Do you remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus as he was majestically walking down to the Jordan? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And it was only possible because of what Jesus was willing to endure. It was the only possible way that God could have and did deal with sin. Somebody may say, well, preacher, my sin, and this is, listen, the devil has a clever way of playing with our minds. If we're not careful, the devil can come by with a whisper any day, any night, and just whisper something in your head, in your heart, something that reaches down to your conscience or subconscious, or maybe you even allow it to Rattle your soul. The devil can come by. You remember that old song that says, many times Satan whispers, there's no need to try. Sometimes the devil will do that, and he will begin to whisper things to you. There may be somebody right now listening by internet or in this auditorium, and the devil may have already done this to you. Maybe he's in the process of doing it right now. He might be whispering to you. Yeah, look at you. You're in church, but remember what you did 20 years ago? You remember what you did 30 years ago? And he might be whispering in your mind, in your heart, in your conscience right now. Listen, there's no need for you to try. Your sin is too great. Your sin is too big. That preacher up there, he's preaching this blood thing. He's preaching this cross thing. He's preaching this crown of thorn thing. But you need to get away from it, step aside from it, because your sin is too big for the blood. That's what he might be telling you today. He might be telling somebody watching on the internet today that your sin is just too big, that you've done something that the blood of Jesus cannot reach. He may be convincing somebody right now that your sin is too deep and and too great and too bad, but here's the thing that I want you to understand today, that although it may be a whisper, what you have to learn how to do as a born-again believer, you need to be able to say, we used to sing the song a lot, Many years ago, you need to say, listen to the devil. I've got my foot on the rock. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed him against that day. You need to say, hey, yes, what I did was yesterday. Yes, what I did was bad. But I'll tell you what, the blood covers it all. Amen. Somebody might say, well, the devil, he's got me right where he wants me to be right now. He's making me think my sin is too big, but I'm telling you today that the blood of Jesus is bigger and greater than anything you have ever done in your life where sin abounds. Grace did much more. Can somebody say amen? The cross of Jesus makes it possible for anybody to be forgiven. Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 5, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And when you go back to John 19, verse number 5, get that scripture on the screen, fellas, real quick, if you will. Then came 
Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. He was not an ordinary man. He was the God-man. He was a perfect man. He was the man who was the express perfect image of Jehovah God. And I want you to listen carefully to this. This man, Jesus, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, where you are, what you're going through. This man, Jesus, can transform your life from a crown of thorns to a crown of glory. If you just give him the opportunity, he will do that for you. In Revelation chapter 19, in verse number 11, John said, And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Look at this. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head, look at this carefully, were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Before this was written, it was prophesied that Jesus was going to be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But here's the thing that I want you to take home with you today. Before Jesus wore the crown of thorns, because he wore the crown of thorns, he will ever, forever wear the crown called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The crown of thorns, listen, it does remind us of the curse of the earth, the cruelty of man, the provision of God. Jesus was our curse on the cross. But here's the last thing that I want to share with you today. Brother Adam comes, our musicians come. Listen to this. Take this home with you today. Jesus wore the crown of thorns that one day we could wear the crown of life. Jesus wore the crown of thorns so that one day we could wear the crown of life. And he did it all for you and me. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.